Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, author of Visualizing Happiness in Every Area of Your Life and host of this podcast, Incredible Life Creator. And today my guest is Miss Jillian Deemer. Hey, Jillian. Hello. How are you today, Kimberly? Yeah, thanks for joining us. Just so people can get to know you, I'm just going to read your bio. Okay. Uh, Jillian Deemer is a narcissistic abuse recovery and spiritual life coach. She was raised by a narcissistic, psychologically and emotionally abusive mother and was trapped in the abuse cycle for nearly four decades. She has a deep understanding of the healing and recovery process. During her healing journey, she discovered that one cannot talk their way out of pain. The trauma runs deep. It is because of this, Jillian uses an integrative, trauma-informed approach to help her clients heal their mind, body, and spirit and reclaim their lives after abuse. As a firm believer in post-traumatic growth, Jillian is a living example that one can go on to have a better life because of their trauma. All right. Well, tell us about you, how you started out. And this already kind of told you how, told us how you started out, but just tell us your story. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, I would say it really, my story probably really started in about 2015 when I realized I married my mother and I didn't know um, at that time that my mother was psychologically and emotionally abusive and definitely had narcissistic traits because it's just not really well known that type of abuse. So, you know, when you're being physically abused, you know, when you're being sexually abused, but when it's psychological and emotional, you, if that's all, you know, you don't realize the situation you're in. And then I noticed that my ex-husband at the time was doing very similar things as my mother and him and I started to see a couples counselor. And I think we only went to two sessions together. And then I started seeing her by myself. And that's when it was really brought to my attention what I went through in childhood. And I just didn't know that was the reason that I was feeling the way I was feeling. Like I was dealing with severe depression, which I also didn't know because that was my normal state probably since I was about six years old. So um, I was dealing with that and anxiety. And when I told her the different things that my mother did, she looked at me and she said, you know, really with your upbringing, you really should be addicted to crack and have multiple children from different dads. You should not be living the life that you're even living now. And she said, I was on the brink of having a nervous breakdown because here I was in the abuse um, cycle for more than about 40 years at that point. And so I started working with her and I really struggled with it at first because I thought my mother was the crazy one. Like, why am I seeing a therapist? And, so it's, <laughs> but I saw her and thank God I did. Like it really kind of jumpstarted me on my own healing journey. So I got divorced from my ex and then I thought, okay, I left that situation. I'm healed. Everything's going to be fine. And I was just doing like the talk therapy with that therapist. And after a few years and more bad, sometimes toxic relationships, and one of them ended very abruptly. And I made the stupid decision to move in with somebody I barely knew, like basically two weeks after I met him, because that really seemed like a good idea at the time. And that really scared me that I did that. And I realized... I felt like he was trying to suffocate me alive almost like he was just very like clingy and I just 
wasn't allowed to have a life of my own. And he just had to be by my side constantly unless I was at work. And so I left that relationship like six months after it started. And then I decided to get serious about my healing journey. I was like, I'm the common denominator in all of these situations and relationships. Like there's something about me. So I decided I was going to quadruple down on my healing journey at the end of 2019, which worked out perfectly because I was already claiming 2020 before 2020 was a thing. Like it was perfect. <laughs> I was like locked in my apartment basically by myself to like focus on all this. I was doing like 80 to 100 hours of work on myself each month on average. Like I was serious. Like I've got to figure this out. And the more I was doing the work on myself, I came across um, trauma in the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, I believe is his name is. And it was so eye-opening to me. Um, I mean, we don't realize the impact that trauma and abuse has on our nervous system and how it affects the brain and how it affects our limiting, limiting beliefs, which, you know, basically create the life that we live. And when I found out that the about trauma and learning about dysregulated nervous system and how I was trying to self-soothe with things. Um, as far as I can remember, like, I mean, I started drinking really early in life I and mean, I was probably 15 maybe. And then I did do drugs for a few cup for a few years and that's shopping addictions. And I would just kind of jump from like addiction to addiction, addiction. And I definitely think relationships were one of them. And it made so much sense when I learned about trauma and how it impacts the body and that how that's really where the healing needs to take place. And it really does change everything. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot yeah. to take in. Yeah. And I guess I should also say too, like during my healing journey, it's like doors started opening up for me that year. Like all of a sudden I was led to all these certifications and they were all trauma informed and some of the classes I was in the first cohort so it's almost like they were there waiting on me to start um so that's what got me really interested in it oh cool so um just so listeners that might not know exactly they may, they probably heard the word narcissistic but you know there's so many definitions it seems like around narcissistic People might even use it as a, uh, you know, as a slur or name calling when they they're mad at somebody. <laughs> but what really is the actual clinical narcissistic pattern or characteristics or things? So let's say there's other people that they're in the same situation you were and you didn't even know you were in it. So what kind of things should we look for? Yeah, I definitely do think narcissism and narcissists is thrown around pretty generously lately. Nowadays, like anybody that's self-centered or egotistical, like, oh, they're a narcissist. And yes, um, that could be part of narcissism and somebody could be a grandiose narcissist where, you know, everything is about them and they are very self-absorbed and selfish. But where I like to think, um, more of like along the lines of narcissistic traits. So when someone is psychologically and emotionally abusive, when someone's controlling and manipulating and gaslighting and making you question your reality and just not letting you be you in the relationship, like it's all about them and the relationship, like 
and they can be sometimes very vicious, like especially the more malignant ones. They can be very evil and they can be more physically abusive, um, financially abusive and sexually abusive as well. So it's actually a clinical term, narcissistic personality disorder, which has to be diagnosed by um, a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But most narcissists aren't going to go see a psychologist or psychiatrist anyways, because they don't think anything's wrong with them. So mm -hmm. yeah, there are people that are quote, true narcissists that could match all these symptoms to diagnose. But then there's a lot of people that um, have narcissistic traits. But I also like to say it's kind of the buzzword for emotional and psychological abuse. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to kind of separate the difference between like a parent and child, like the parent's narcissistic and the child's being abused as opposed to maybe a um, one-on-one -on -one relationship with a, you know, husband, wife or whatever. So what, cause as a child, I'm thinking, you know, when you're a baby, one years old, two years old, I mean, basically you, all your care is dependent on the parent. I mean, your needs are met by the parent. So what does that look like? Yeah, a psychological and emotionally abusive person is dangerous regardless of who it's towards. But I believe it's actually more dangerous when it's a parent-child relationship because you're developing. And before the age of seven, I mean, you're living in a theta brainwave state. So you're just absorbing everything. So you don't realize that all these things that this person's making you feel and believe about yourself, that they're not true. And you realize that this narcissistic parent, you know, it's really all about them. It's all about their needs. The world revolves around them. So if you're a child and you have needs, your needs aren't nearly as important or important at all compared to your parents. And they can't deal with your emotions. If you're um, needing like emotional support, they can't give it to you. Like they don't have the capacity to give it to you. So what happens is, especially before the age of seven, when you realize that, wait a minute, I'm not safe to be me and I'm not safe to express myself around this primary caregiver. This person's not emotionally there for me. And you realize like subconsciously you're in danger. And so your nervous system gets triggered into that fight flight response and it just stays there growing up. So that's how you get stuck in depression and stuck in anxiety. So, um, so these narcissistic parents are having children, mm -hmm. whether they choose or not, because sometimes things, you know, we just have children. <laughs> um, but let's say there's a narcissistic parent, they, they want a child, they choose to have a child. How do they view that child as far as how does the child benefit them? Do you know what I'm asking? Yes. The child benefits them because they see it as either a, an extension, extension of themselves to live the lives that maybe they wish they could have lived. So they live vicariously through the child and the child has to meet those demands and can't have a life of their own. Another reason would be that they enmesh with their child. So the child isn't allowed to have their own personality. Like the child has to cater to the parent's needs. Um, that's another big characteristic too, is the child is very concerned about caretaking, about being 
like the childish is all about making sure that the parent's needs are met. And so a lot of times too, that the parent looks at the child as almost more of a possession, not necessarily a child. Like I feel like my own mother looked at me like I was a doll, like a doll baby, like that she, I wasn't like a real human being. And my mother used me as a pawn when she divorced my dad. So that's very common too, that the narcissistic parent will try to turn the child against the other parent if they separate or get divorced. And um, what happens, you know, we all go through the teenage years when the child all of a sudden wants to have their own thoughts, their autonomy, they, you know, whether it's in middle school or high school, you know, that time when most kids start to rebel. So what happens during that time? Does the parent just smash on the kid and not let them or what happens there? Um, pretty much that's what happens. I know in my case, my mother became even more controlling and more chaotic and out of control and scarier. Like I remember around that time, she would just start coming into my room and just screaming and yelling at me about God knows what, and just taking like clothes out of my closet and, um, things that were important to me and just smashing them to the ground and having these, um, just rages out of nowhere and saying, you know, you're looking differently, you're acting differently, you know, you're not treating me well. And she would say all these things while she's just destroying my room. And then she would leave and I was grounded all the time. She would try to control who my friends were, um, who I was going to go out with. Um, Before I was going to leave for college, she would come into my room in the middle of the night and just start shaking me awake and just yelling at me about whatever for two hours every night and and supposedly she had no recollection of doing any of that when I talked to her years later about it but yeah they get a lot more controlling and possessive if they feel like you're trying to drift away from them because part of their identity becomes wrapped up in you got it so as you're getting Mm -hmm. older it seems like it naturally they would get more and more stressed out worried about the fact that you're moving away from them or that you're having your own thoughts or that you're basically smart enough to know that hey it's time for me to move out um wow yeah I had to basically run away from home um I had just finished high school my graduation and My mother got involved in this Pentecostal church around my senior year in high school. And so she was on mission to save everybody. And so she invited a bunch of family members down to my graduation, not to come to my graduation, but to get saved at the church. And so when she went to take them back to the airport is when I left. So I kind of planned my escape because I really didn't believe she was going to let me leave. I mean, I really didn't. Wow. Okay, now let's switch gears over to like, um, let's say an intimate relationship or it could, I guess it could even be best friend relationships, like two girlfriends to, you know, in other words, it could be um, like a marriage relationship or it could even be a friend relationship. Um, how does that look? Because then you have two adults. You have two adults. Yeah, so... 
One of the things, I mean, about being in a relationship, say an intimate relationship with a narcissist is that there's a couple of things. They do do a lot of things called like triangulization where they kind of pit you against another, say woman, or, you know, if it's a woman, they put two men together and you're kind of like competing for the narcissist, you know, this kind of happens in the beginning. And then also in the beginning of the relationship too, they love bomb you. I mean, they shower you with everything that you've ever wanted to hear. They buy you presents. They give you like everything that you've ever wanted. And it's just, you feel like on cloud nine and, you know, they'll say things like, oh, you know, I believe you're my soulmate and I love you. And they'll say it really early. And when you're starved for love, like, especially when you come from an abusive childhood and you want that love, like that's a lot of times the type of people that gravitate towards the narcissist and the narcissist gravitates towards because once they reel you in and get you hooked, then all of a sudden it changes. But then you're all always trying to get that other person back to how they were in the beginning, like the very loving, you know, just showering you with attention and being there. But then that never comes back. It may come back for a day or a couple of days or something after you get into a fight or something like that. But then it goes right back to how it was. And it's just, they're very manipulative in relationships. The relationship is all about them. Like, again, you can't have any needs and they expect you to take care of all their needs. And when I say needs, I'm talking a lot about emotional needs as well. Like they're not going to support you. Like I remember, um, and my mother would do the same thing. And my ex-husband would do this. Like whenever something good was happening for me, they would try to sabotage it and they would pick a fight like the day before, like they always, you had to stay always like one step lower than them at least. And so you can never outshine them ever. So that, and that happens with friends too. Like if you're friends with a narcissist, you can't outshine them. You'll kind of notice like conversations are always really one-sided. They don't really care about you as a person or what's going on with you. And it's just always about them. And um, not sure how to ask this question. How about like honesty, trustworthiness? Are they constantly saying lies to try and get reel you in are are they can you trust them you can't trust them at all um they will of course mix in truth because obviously that is more believable right like if you sprinkle in a little bit of truth into the lie then it makes it way more believable than if it was just a total lie and they'll tell you what they want what you want to hear and say um what usually happens with when you're in a relationship with a narcissist or any type of abusive person, you normally end up what's in called like this drama triangle, right? And so you have the perpetrator on the top and then you have the victim on the other side and then you have the rescuer, right? So the rescuer is always trying to rescue the perpetrator, like trying to like save them or make them change or... um you know, make them see the error of their ways, which they can't, like they can't see that they're even doing anything wrong and they can't hear you and they can't see you. So whenever that balance gets disrupted, um, then the other person will swing to victim. 
And then they'll blame like the rescuer for abusing them. Like they'll turn around and say, no, you're the one that's abusive and you're abusing me because they weren't getting their way and you're calling them out on it and you're fighting with them. And then you just kind of keep going around this triangle, like until someone finally decides to leave the relationship. So either the quote victim gets um, strong enough to get out or the abuser finds another source of supply and leaves. Okay. So you just said something that stood out to me they need another source so do they always need someone else to be I don't know if you want to say it feeding off of but they always need to have another person in their life to yeah 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 they really are like energy vampires like they'll drain you of everything they'll drain you of everything they can get from you whether it's emotional psychological physical financial um, like I know a lot of people that have just been financially ruined by these people. They take everything. So do these narcissistic people, do they ever get help? Do they ever get healed? I don't want to say never, cause I don't ever believe in never. Um, but it's highly unlikely. And it's be, is it because they think they're always right? Yeah. Yeah, they don't have a problem. They don't have a problem. Yeah. Everybody has the problem. problem. Yeah. 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 So basically if something goes wrong, they're blaming somebody else. Yeah. yeah. It's never their fault. It's never their fault. No. No. And they're gonna gravitate, like I said, towards people that are more codependent. Um, definitely people pleasers. Uh they're I mean, those two are probably the two most vulnerable groups of people that an abusive person is going to go after. So let's say you find yourself in this triangle with a a narcissist. And you said, you know, the person who is in that relationship, they have to have the power to get out. Mm -hmm. Do a lot of times, do they need some kind of support or people to help them or how do they get out of these relationships? Yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to get out of these relationships because the thing is um, a lot of times you're trauma bonded to this person, like your core wounds of I'm not enough, I'm not worthy or attached to this person because in the very beginning, this person made you feel enough. They made you feel worthy. And also a lot of times if you are a codependent or people pleaser, you came from abusive childhoods. So these people are familiar to you. And so it feels very comfortable and safer, believe it or not, to be in a, this type of relationship than being with somebody that's healthy and can have a good relationship. So one of the first steps to getting out of one of these types of relationships is to first realize that you're in it. Because a lot of times people don't realize it because again, it could be their normal. Like I didn't know for years until I finally went and saw a therapist, like I said, that was my couples counselor first. And I remember she recommended this book called The Human Magnet Syndrome by Ross Rosenberg, which is an excellent read. Like if you think that you may be codependent or a narcissist, that's like a really good place to start. It really gives you a lot of context like for what you're going through. So then find a supportive person, whether it's for a therapist, supportive coach, um, have someone that knows the steps to get out because it's definitely multifaceted like there's a lot of grieving work a lot of healing work that needs to be done and a lot of reconnection to the self that needs to be done so 
start working with that. Also start building up your support network. Because a lot of times these people take you away from all your, your whole support network. They cause problems with you and your family. They cause people problems with you and your friends. And they try to isolate you because the more isolated you are, the more controllable you are. So if that has happened to you, then start building that network. Like if you're want to join a church or some type of like meetup group or some type of social group, just try to meet people and start building up your supportive network that way and reconnect with old friends. And then make sure you're financially sound that you can get out. Like maybe you got to start hiding some money and saving money before you can make an escape. And I would also recommend talking to a lawyer in your area and see like what resources are available to you. Got it. So can it sometimes um, be dangerous to leave that situation since that person doesn't want you to leave? It can be dangerous. It depends on the severity of the narcissism. Because like I said, there's people that with narcissistic traits, it's on a spectrum, right? right? So if people on one end of the spectrum, yeah, they're a little selfish and self-absorbed and they might not really care too much about other people. But you know, they're not really necessarily abusive, right? Like you can be selfish and self-absorbed, but not abusive. And then you have people that are abusive, whether it's psychologically and emotionally, but then you also have these people like malignant narcissists. They do have the potential that they could seriously injure you or even kill you if you try to leave. And so you have to know what you're dealing with. And that's why it's really helpful to talk to someone that knows about narcissism and can kind of guide you and kind of figure out, maybe help you figure out exactly what type of situation you're in. And then that's also another good time too. If you have a malignant narcissist, I would definitely contact like a local woman's shelter or, um, you know, if you're a man and you're married to a narcissist, like even like maybe a church group or something, but yeah, definitely have like that support network to leave. You got to be safe. Your safety is the number one priority. So let's say you, you realize that you either were raised by a narcissist or you've been in a narcissistic relationship or relationships. Um, how do you work with people? Kind of give me an idea. Like, what can they expect? Because I'm sure, you know, whenever we come for any kind of treatment or therapy, we're a little bit you know, nervous about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the way that I work with people is like, I do a lot of psych education. So they understand a lot of like how the brain works and the nervous system works and how a lot of it's, it's a chemical addiction and how the trauma bond forms and how, you know, the brain is just trying to keep you safe. And, you know, they find a familiar situation, even if it's an abusive situation, safer than, being in a healthy relationship. So just kind of understanding that. So that way you can start showing yourself some compassion and grace during this healing journey and really understanding by taking that step to get help. I mean, it just shows how much strength you have because a lot of times people don't want to face, right? Like their inner demons and what's going on with themselves. So, and then we really get to familiar with their nervous system. Like how is their nervous system working? Like what triggers are happening? Like what core wounds are showing up? Um, and how to, you know, develop healthy practices to get out of those states of like, say, fight, flight, and fawn freeze, and stay more in like a calm, centered, peaceful state. And so we'll do a lot of that work. And then also we'll heal 
we'll do a lot of use a lot of somatic approaches to heal like say childhood trauma um, if that exists which it normally does if you end up in a narcissistic abusive relationship as an adult you're you were definitely more prone to have a narcissistic or abusive childhood so we'll kind of work on that and start changing a lot of those core wounds and limiting beliefs and then really start developing their own sense of self because see abuse severs the connection to the self and a lot of times whether it's when you leave an abusive childhood or an abusive relationship as an adult you don't know who you are like you just feel like a shell of yourself you don't have just any connection to things that you like don't like like what you're available for what you're not available for and just learning what your values are what your needs are identifying needs is huge and honoring those needs because sometimes it's as simple as you know people are hungry and they ignore it and then they go five hours before they eat something like you know it's like we have to start like listening to our bodies like if our body needs rest and we have to give it rest and that's just part of just a healthy lifestyle it's just starting to meet those needs and then also we'll do boundary work um, and just kind of position people in the right place around you in your life. Because sometimes we let people too close that really shouldn't be that close to us and just keep them in, you know, right perspective. Yeah. And we'll do all so kinds if, of work like that. If someone, <laughs> you know, they're going through the therapy and they're starting to feel heal and they're starting to feel like, oh, I actually know what I like now. I know what I would like to have, but you know, they've had a history of being in, you know, three or four narcissistic relationships. How do they know which one feels right? How do they find those safe, healthy people? Because they yeah. had, you know, they're kind of tuned to the other people. Right. I definitely will help some of my clients when they start dating again. Um because there is things that, to watch out for. And sometimes too, like if you come from an abusive childhood and you've been in abusive relationships your whole adult life, like if you feel chemistry with somebody right away, it's not a good thing. Because that's your nervous system recognizing something very familiar about that person. So it's better to go slow um, and to look for more, um, you know, a lot of times, like I said, people tell you what they want to hear, what you want to hear, right? So if you're on a date and say you're with a narcissist, a lot of times they'll, you know, tell you what they want to hear, tell you what you want to hear. And then they'll start maybe talking about all this grand stuff about themselves, but they're not really sharing anything of depth, right? You know, it's just kind of very superficial conversation. And they kind of paint this like dream, like this dream life that you could have with them. And there's just no substance. It's really like having more of the conversations with people, like really getting to know them, really getting to know their character, what their needs are, what their values are, what their standards are. And it's important for the client to also have standards because otherwise you're just kind of dating whoever shows up. Right? And that's not always a good thing. It's good to be able to say no, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, I don't know, certain important questions you might ask somebody when you're first getting to know them that would give you clues? I definitely want to ask questions like what was their childhood like? What was their relationship with their mother like? Their father like? What were early relationships like? Um, what are some adult relationships, especially their most recent 
you know, if they were married, what was that marriage like? And the other person, how did they get out of it? What was the divorce like? Um, and just also, you know, asking them too, it's like, how do you normally feel like on average? Like, are you depressed? Are you dealing with anxiety? Like, you know, and what is it that they really want to know or learn or achieve by working with me? So what are their goals? Okay. Wow. So um, when you're working with people um, and they have these limiting beliefs, how do you help them work through that where they're they're actually able to see, first of all, see what it is, but then make that change? That's the shift. Um, and that's the first part of the shift for sure is to be aware of what the belief is and then start looking for evidence of the opposite. So supporting evidence. So say, you know, maybe my belief is I'm not enough, which is kind of like a big limiting belief. So you start looking for evidence, like in different parts of the person's life where they were enough. And you start kind of building up that confidence and that support of the belief, like, wait a minute, I was enough in this situation, enough in that situation. And you start like realizing like, wait, and after a while, like once you start finding all these examples in multiple areas of your life, like you start to shift that belief. You're like, wait a minute, maybe as a child, I decided on this faulty belief that I'm not enough because of whatever happened to me as a child. But as an adult, like it's just, I realize that's not true. So. I'm usually I'm not at a loss for questions, but right now I'm thinking, is there anything else that we should know about how you work with people or how they would experience that or what they would experience going through the treatment? Yeah, I think um, the way I work with people, it's definitely a very mindful approach. Like I really want the person to connect to themselves, like reconnect to themselves. And I really want my clients to really build a healthy relationship with their self because I do hundred percent believe it's the blueprint to all other relationships. So if you don't know yourself, like a lot of times I'll hear people, you know, they don't want to be alone. Like they don't want to sit in their apartment alone or home alone. Um, because there really is no one home, including them. They're not even home, right? Like with themselves, like they've self-abandoned They're They don't want to listen to like what their feelings are not comfortable with their feelings. And what their inner experience is. I just want people to return home to themselves because that's really going to positively ripple out to all areas of your life once you have that reconnection. Wow. Um, without, you know, we have, of course, um, patient privacy, but without saying any names or anything, can you give me an example of someone you worked with and kind of what the result was? Yeah, I think there's, you know, one of my clients, she came from an abusive childhood. She had an abuse, couple of abusive relationships as an adult. And now she's with someone that's very loving, but also someone that she can kind of keep at a distance, right? Because sometimes that closeness and intimacy is very uncomfortable for someone that has an abusive background. But it's, she didn't have really any idea, um, 
of really what brought, brought her joy. And she was always in a very anxious state and she didn't know how to get out of this anxious state. Like she probably was in anxiety, maybe 75% of the time when we first met, which is a lot. And I was able to get her down um, after just a few months of working with her down to about 40% anxiety, but she was starting to get a lot of excitement and passion again for life because we're really able to identify different things that she could do that brought her joy and give herself permission to do those things. Because a lot of times people don't feel like they have permission to be happy in life, that they don't have permission to feel peace at all. So sometimes that's a key part too, is to realize that it's okay for me to be happy. Yeah. And um, that just made me think of another question. So, you know, we talked about the narcissistic parent and then the child who's being abused. What about when that child grows up, starts having their own family, let's say they're actually in a healthy relationship, they start having their own family. What happens in that parenting relationship when they start having their own kids? It can go one of three ways. Um, one is they decide to not even have children because they're scared and they don't want the children to go through what they went through, which is the um, choice I made. Um, now that I've done all my healing work, I kind of wish I made a different choice, but it felt like the right choice at the time. The second choice is they have kids and they're terrified still of being like their parents. So they make a conscious effort to do everything completely opposite as their parent. But the problem with that is it's almost like a different kind of control, right? Because it's like, okay, I need my kids to have this great life and be happy and feel at peace. So then say their kid isn't happy for whatever reason that day, like they get so stressed and anxious because they're like, oh my God, you know, my kid's not happy and I wanted to be happy. And so um, they're just kind of trying to control their home environment to make sure it stays as peaceful as possible and as loving as possible, which it's definitely coming from good intentions, right? But, you know, we're human and there's a whole spectrum of emotions and things that we have to feel. And then the other thing is like, there are the people that are raised by narcissists that become narcissists themselves. And so they're just going to keep repeating the cycle. Okay. Wow. So um, if people um, wanted to get more information or they wanted to work with you, um, just tell us about, you know, what you have available as far as programs and where to contact you. Yeah, I, um, they can find me at jilliandemer.com. I do have a program called Reconnect. Because um, like I said, I firmly believe in the reconnection to the self and building that relationship. And that is a four-month program. It's eight sessions. So we meet every other week, but there's work to do in between each session. So it's pretty kind of an, an intensive. And that's all about, like I said, reconnecting to the self. And in that program, we will work on identifying different parts of yourself um, that are showing up, say like people pleasing and perfectionism or codependency, things like that, and work and transform them. We'll identify your needs, we'll identify boundaries and your values and kind of start um, healing some of the wounds too, like I'm not enough, I'm not worthy. And we'll also work on your trauma timeline so doing a trauma timeline is very, um, it definitely gives you a lot of insight to, okay, 
everything now makes sense. This is what happened to me. And this is the way it impacts the brain and nervous system. So it definitely allows a lot more space for self-compassion. So that's my reconnect program. And then um, if you didn't want to do a program, but just want to work with me um, on just rebuilding your life and um, working towards your goals and maybe identifying needs and self-care and things like that, just anything you'd want to work on. I have uh, spiritual life coaching sessions and you can purchase one or three or do a package of five. So those are two main ways right now to work for me. Beautiful. So no, just to ask you a personal question, what gives you the most happiness and fulfillment at this point in your life? Oh my gosh. I think right now, I mean, I'm so grateful that I was led to my life purpose. Um, I mean, it's just, I'm very passionate about helping other people just really understand, like I said, their nervous system and how their mind works and how it's just, it really couldn't be any other way. Like if you have childhood trauma, like if you're struggling with addictions and things like that, it's just, it's actually pretty natural um, from what you dealt with. So that brings me a lot of joy. And also just, just being, spending time with my family and friends and my little dog. I love my little dog, Lucy. She's not in my office with me right now. But <laughs> yeah, she just brings me so much joy. Like I just love walking in nature and it's just, I noticed that the more I heal, like this more simple and peaceful my life is, like that's what really brings me joy. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And thank you for all your wisdom and information on this so people can, you know, recognize if this might be happening to them or someone they know. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Yes. So I have one last question before we finish. Okay. What is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? My best advice is, like I said, to reconnect to yourself, have a healthy relationship with the self, and don't get entangled in other people's dramas. Just stay in your lane. I love that. Stay in your lane. Yeah, stay in your lane. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jillian. Thank you, Kimberly. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye.